Chapter 22, verses 39 through 53. Of Catina Aria, Gospel of St. Luke, Part 2, by St. Thomas Aquinas. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Verses 39 through 42. And he came out and went, as he was wont, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Bede, as he was to be betrayed by his disciple, our Lord goes to the place of his wanted retirement, where he might most easily be found. As it follows, and he came out and went, as he was wont, to the Mount of Olives. Cyril, by day he was in Jerusalem, but when the darkness of night came on, he held converse with his disciples on the Mount of Olives. As it is added, and his disciples followed. Bede, rightly does he lead the disciples, about to be instructed in the mysteries of his body, to the Mount of Olives, that he might signify that all who are baptized in his death should be comforted with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Theophylact. Now after supper our Lord betakes himself not to idleness or sleep, but to prayer and teaching. Hence it follows, And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray, etc. Bede. It is indeed impossible for the soul of man not to be tempted. Therefore he says not, Pray that ye be not tempted, but pray that ye enter not into temptation. That is, that the temptation do not at last overcome you. Cyril, but not to do good by words only, he went forward a little and prayed, as it follows, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast. You will everywhere find him praying apart, to teach you that with a devout mind and a quiet heart we should speak with the Most High God. He did not betake himself to prayer, as if he was in want of another's help, who is the almighty power of the Father, but that we may learn not to slumber in temptation, but rather to be instant in prayer. Bede, he also alone prays for all, who was to suffer alone for all, signifying that his prayer is as distant from ours as his passion. Augustine, he was torn from them about a stone's cast, as though he would typically remind them that to him they should point the stone, that is, up to him bring the intention of the law which was written on stone. Gregory of Nisau, but what meaneth his bending of knees, of which it is said, and he knelt down and prayed. It is the way of men to pray to their superiors with their faces on the ground, testifying by the action that the greater of the two are those who are asked. Now it is plain that human nature contains nothing worthy of God's imitation. Accordingly, the tokens of respect which we advise to one another, confessing ourselves to be inferior to our neighbors, we have transferred to the humiliation of the incomparable nature. And thus he who bore our sicknesses and interceded for us, bent his knee in prayer, by reason of the man which he assumed, giving us an example that we ought not to exalt ourselves at the time of prayer, but in all things to be conformed to humility. 
For God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Cyril, now every art is set forth by the words and works of him who teacheth it. Because then our Lord had come to teach no ordinary virtue, therefore he speaks and does the same things. And so, having in words commanded to pray, lest they enter into temptation, he does the same likewise in work, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. He saith not the words, If thou wilt, as if ignorant whether it was pleasing to the Father, for such knowledge was not more difficult than the knowledge of his Father's substance, which he alone clearly knew. According to John, As the Father knoweth me, even so have I known the Father. Nor says he this, as refusing his passion, for he who rebuked a disciple who wished to prevent his passion, so as even after many commendations to call him Satan, how should he be unwilling to be crucified? Consider then why it was so said. How great a thing was it to hear that the unspeakable God, who passes all understanding, was content to enter the virgin's womb, to suck her milk, and to undergo everything human. Since then, that was almost incredible, which was about to happen. He sent first indeed prophets to announce it. Afterwards, he himself comes clothed in the flesh, so that you could not suppose him to be a phantom. He permits his flesh to endure all natural infirmities, to hunger, to thirst, to sleep, to labor, to be afflicted, to be tormented. On this account, likewise, he refuses not death, that he might manifest thereby his true humanity. Ambrose, he says then, if thou wilt, remove this cup from me, as man refusing death, as God maintaining his own decree. Bede, or he begs the cup to be removed from him, not indeed from fear of suffering, but from his compassion for the first people, lest they should have to drink the cup first drunk by him. Therefore he says expressly not, Remove from me the cup, but this cup, that is the cup of the Jewish people, who can have no excuse for their ignorance in slaying me, having the law and the prophets daily prophesying of me. Dionysius of Alexandria. Or when he says, Let this cup pass from me, it is not, let it not come to me, for unless it had come, it could not pass away. It was therefore when he perceived it already present that he began to be afflicted and sorrowful, and, as it was, close at hand. He says, Let this cup pass, for as that which has passed can neither be said not to have come, nor yet to remain, so also the Savior asks first that the temptation slightly assailing him may pass away. And this is the not entering into temptation which he counsels to pray for. But the most perfect way of avoiding temptation is manifested when he says, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. For God is not a tempter to evil, but he wishes to grant us good things above what we either desire or understand. Therefore he seeks that the perfect will of his Father, which he himself had known, should dispose of the event, which is the same will as his own, as respects the divine nature. But he shrinks to fulfill the human will, which he calls his own, and which is inferior to his father's will. Athanasius. For here he manifests a double will, one indeed human, which is of the flesh, the other divine. For our human nature, because of the weakness of the flesh, refuses the passion, 
but his divine will eagerly embraced it, for that it was not possible that he should be holden of death. Gregory of Nisau. Now Apollarius asserts that Christ had not his own will according to his earthly nature, but that in Christ exists only the will of God, who descends from heaven. Let him then say what will it is which God would have by no means to be fulfilled. And the divine nature does not remove his own will. Bede. When he drew near his passion, the Savior also took upon him the words of weak men, as when something threatens us which we do not wish to come to pass. We then, through weakness, seek that it may not be, to the end that we also may be prepared by fortitude to find the will of our Creator contrary to our own will. Verses 43 through 46. And there appeared an angel unto him, from heaven strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer, and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Theophylact, to make known unto us the power of prayer, that we may exercise it in adversity. Our Lord, when praying, is comforted by an angel. Bede, in another place we read that angels came and ministered unto him. In testimony then of each nature, angels are said both to have ministered to him and comforted him, for the Creator needed not the protection of his creature. But being made man as for our sakes, he is sad, so for our sakes he is comforted. Theophylact, but some say that the angel appeared, glorifying him, saying, O Lord, thine is the power, for thou art able to vanquish death and to deliver weak mankind. Chrysostom, and because not in appearance but in reality, he took upon himself our flesh, in order to confirm the truth of the dispensation, he submits to bear human suffering, for it follows, and being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. Ambrose, many are shocked at this place, who turn the sorrows of the Savior to an argument of inherent weakness from the beginning, rather than taken upon him for the time. But I am so far from considering it a thing to be excused, that I never more admire his mercy and majesty, for he would have conferred less upon me had he not taken upon him my feelings, for he took upon him my sorrow, that upon me he might bestow his joy. With confidence, therefore, I name his sadness, because I preach his cross. He must needs then have undergone affliction, that he might conquer, for they have no praise of fortitude, whose wounds have produced stupor rather than pain. He wished therefore to instruct us how we should conquer death, and what is far greater, the anguish of coming death. Thou smartest then, O Lord, not from thine own, but my wounds, for he was wounded for our transgressions. And perhaps he is sad, because that after Adam's fall, the passage by which we must depart from this world was such that death was necessary. Nor is it far from the truth that he was sad for his persecutors, who he knew would suffer punishment for their wicked sacrilege. Gregory, he had expressed also the conflict of our mind in itself, as death approaches, for we suffer a certain thrill of terror and dread, when by the dissolution of the flesh we draw near to the eternal judgment. And with good reason, 
for the soul finds in a moment that which can never be changed. Theophylact. Now that the preceding prayer was of his human nature, not his divine, as the Arians say, is argued from what is said of his sweat, which follows, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Bede. Let no one ascribe this sweat to natural weakness. Nay, it is contrary to nature to sweat blood, but rather let him derive therefrom a declaration to us that he was now obtaining the accomplishment of his prayer, namely, that he might purge by his blood the faith of his disciples, still convicted of human frailty. Augustine, our Lord praying with a bloody sweat represented the martyrdoms which should flow from his whole body, which is the church. Theophylact, or this is proverbially said of one who has sweated intensely, that he sweated blood, the evangelist, then wishing to show that he was moistened with large drops of sweat, takes drops of blood for an example. But afterwards, finding his disciples asleep for sorrow, he upbraids them, at the same time reminding them to pray. For it follows, and when he rose from prayer, and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping. Chrysostom, for it was midnight, and the disciples' eyes were heavy from grief, and their sleep was not that of drowsiness, but sorrow. Augustine, now Luke has not stated after which prayer he came to his disciples, still in nothing does he disagree with Matthew and Mark. Bede, our Lord proves by what comes after that he prayed for his disciples, whom he exhorts by watching and prayer, to be partakers of his prayer. For it follows, and he saith unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Theophylact, that is, that they should not be overcome by temptation, for not to be led into temptation is not to be overwhelmed by it. Or he simply bids us pray that our life be quiet, and we be not cast into trouble of any kind, for it is of the devil and presumptuous, for a man to throw himself into temptation. Therefore James said not, cast yourselves into temptation, but when ye are fallen, count it all joy, making a voluntary act out of an involuntary. Verses 47 through 53. And while he yet spake, behold a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them, and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? When they which were about him saw what should follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? And one of them smote the servant of the high priest, and cut off his ear. And Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear, and healed him. Then Jesus said unto the chief priests, and captains of the temple, and the elders, which were come to him, Be ye come out, as against a thief, with swords and staves. When I was daily with you in the temple, ye stretched forth no hands against me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Gloss. After first mentioning the prayer of Christ, St. Luke goes on to speak of his betrayal, wherein he is betrayed by his disciple, saying, And while he yet spake, behold a multitude, and he that was called Judas. Cyril. He says, He that was called Judas, holding his name, as it were, in abhorrence, but adds one of the twelve, 
to signify the enormity of the traitor. For he who had been honored as an apostle became the cause of the murder of Christ. Chrysostom, for just as incurable wounds yield neither to severe nor soothing remedies, so the soul, when once it is taken captive and has sold itself to any particular sin, will reap no benefit from admonition. And so it was with Judas, who desisted not from his betrayal, though deterred by Christ by every manner of warning. Hence it follows, and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. Cyril, unmindful of the glory of Christ, he thought to be able to act secretly, daring to make an especial token of love the instrument of his treachery. Cyril, now we must not depart from admonishing our brethren, albeit nothing comes of our words, for even the streams, though no one drink therefrom, still flow on, and him whom thou hast persuaded today, peradventure thou mayest tomorrow. For the fisherman, after drawing empty nets the whole day, when it was now late, takes a fish. And thus our Lord, though he knew that Judas was not to be converted, yet ceased not to do such things as had reference to him. It follows, But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? Ambrose, It must be used, I think, by way of question, as if he arrests the traitor with a lover's affection. Chrysostom, and he gives him his proper name, which was rather like one lamenting and recalling him than one provoked to anger. Ambrose, he says, betrayest thou with a kiss, that is, dost thou inflict a wound with the pledge of love, with the instruments of peace dost thou impose death. A slave, dost thou betray thy lord, a disciple thy master, one chosen, him whom chose thee. Chrysostom, he said not, betrayest thou thy master, thy lord, thy benefactor, but the son of man, that is, the humble and meek, who, though he were not thy master and lord, for as much as he has borne himself so gently toward thee, should have never been betrayed by thee. Ambrose, O great manifestation of divine power, great discipline of virtue, both the design of thy traitor is detected, and yet forbearance is not withheld. He shows whom it is Judas betrays, by manifesting things hidden. He declares whom he delivers up, by saying, The Son of Man. For the human flesh, not the divine nature, is seized. That, however, which most confounds the ungrateful, is the thought that he had delivered him up. Who, though he was the Son of God, yet for our sakes wished to be the Son of Man. As if he said, for thee did I undertake, O ungrateful man, that which thou betrayest in hypocrisy. Augustine. The Lord, when he was betrayed, first said this which Luke mentions, Betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? Next, what Matthew says, Friend, wherefore art thou come? And lastly, what John records, Whom seek ye? Ambrose. Our Lord kissed him, not that he would teach us to disassemble, but both that he might not seem to shrink from the traitor, and that he might the more move him by not denying him the offices of love. Theophylact, the disciples are inflamed with zeal, and unsheathed their swords. But whence have they swords? Because they had slain the lamb, and had departed from the feast. Now the other disciples ask whether they should strike, 
but Peter, always fervent in defense of his master, waits not for the permission, but straightway strikes the servant of the high priest, as it follows, and one of them smote, etc. Augustine, he who struck, according to John, was Peter, but he whom he struck was called Malchus. Ambrose, for Peter being well versed in the law, and full of ardent affection, knowing that it was counted righteous in Finis, that he had killed the sacrilegious persons, struck the high priest's servant. Augustine, now Luke says, but Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far, which is what Matthew records, put thy sword up into its sheath, nor will it move you as contrary thereto. That Luke says here that our Lord answer, Suffer ye thus far, as if he had so spoken after the blow to show that what was done had pleased him so far, but he did not wish it to proceed further, seeing that in these words which Matthew had given, it may rather be implied that the whole circumstance in which Peter used the sword was displeasing to our Lord. For the truth is that upon their asking, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? He then answered, Suffer ye thus far. That is, be not troubled with what is about to happen to me. They must be permitted to advance so far, that is, to take me, and so to fulfill the things which are written of me. For he would not say, and Jesus answering, unless he answered this question, not Peter's deed. But between the delay of their words of the question to our Lord and his answer, Peter in the eagerness of defense struck the blow. And two things cannot be said, though one may be said and another may be done at the same time. Then, as Luke says, he healed him who was struck, as it follows, and he touched his ear and healed him. Bede, for the Lord is never forgetful of his loving kindness. While they are bringing death upon the righteous, he heals the wounds of his persecutors. Ambrose, the Lord, in wiping away the bloody wounds, conveyed thereby a divine mystery, namely that the servant of the prince of this world, not by the condition of his nature, but by guilt, should receive a wound on the ear, for that he had not heard the words of wisdom. Or by Peter so willingly striking the ear, he taught that he ought not to have an ear outwardly, who had not one in a mystery. But why did Peter do this? Because he especially obtained the power of binding and loosing. Therefore, by his spiritual sword, he takes away the interior ear of him who understandeth not. But the Lord himself restores the hearing, showing that even they, if they would turn, might be saved, who inflicted the wounds in our Lord's passion, for that all sin may be washed away in the mysteries of faith. Bede, or that servant is the Jewish people, sold by the high priests to an unlawful obligation, who by the passion of our Lord lost their right ear that is, the spiritual understanding of the law. And this ear indeed is cut off by Peter's sword, not that he takes away the sense of understanding from those that hear, but manifests it withdrawn by the judgment of God from the careless. But the same right ear in those who among the same people have believed is restored by the divine condescension to its former office. It follows, Then said Jesus unto them, are ye come out as against a thief, with swords and staves, etc. Chrysostom, for they had come at night, fearing an outbreak of the multitude. Therefore he says, What need was there of these arms against one who was always with you? As it follows, when I was daily with you. 
Cyril, whereby he does not blame the chiefs of the Jews that they had not sooner prepared their murderous designs against him, but convicts them of having presumptuously supposed they had attacked him against his will, as if he says, Ye did not take me then, because I willed it not, but neither could ye now, did I not of my own accord surrender myself into your hands. Hence it follows, but this is your hour. That is, a short time is permitted you to exercise your vengeance against me, but the Father's will agrees with mine. He also says that this power is given to darkness, i.e. the devil and the Jews, of arising in rebellion against Christ, and then is added in the power of darkness, bead, as if he says, therefore are ye assembled against me in darkness, because your power wherewith ye are thus armed against the light of the world is in darkness. But it is asked how Jesus is said to be addressing the chief priests, the officers of the temple and the elders who came to him, whereas they are reported not to have gone of themselves, but to have sent their servants while they waited in the hall of Caiaphas. The answer then to this contradiction is that they came not by themselves, but by those whom they sent to take Christ in the power of their command. End of chapter 22, verses 39 through 53.